Welcome to Living My Breastless Life podcast. I'm your host, HPG. On season three of the podcast, we're diving in to the helping profession. I have found that almost always there's a catalytic event that leads people to help others. You'll hear a variety of folks share what they do, why they do it, and the unique ways that they help. This season will mostly be guest interviews with some fascinating people and a few surprises for y'all along the way. So let's go. 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 On today's episode, you'll hear my chat with Jen. Jen is a two-time kidney recipient and is a resilience coach. She helps folks who are experiencing chronic illness and their caregivers. I really enjoyed my conversation with Jen, and I think you'll enjoy this episode. Jim, tell us what you do. Well, I am a prosilience coach. So prosilience stands for proactive resilience. And I love to help people, particularly patients and caregivers, to move from the uncertainty and fear associated in life to um, more confidence, more calm, and more contentment, and dare I say, even joy in some moments. So that's what I love to do. I love to connect. I love to speak. I love to hold space for people so they can really know themselves and how they respond to life and how they can make life better for themselves. That's awesome. Thank you for doing what you do. Thank you for seeing me doing doing it. You know, it's not something that we see every day. I'm a a two-time kidney transplant recipient. And I've been managing that journey for three decades now. I'm also a caregiver for my now 15-year-old who was diagnosed with a low-grade brain tumor when she was seven. And there are lots of resources out there for patients and caregivers. Um, It's when I started doing this work um, based in the foundation of life coaching where I was really able to decide how I wanted to move forward in life, no matter what was coming my way. And I don't think that's a resource like we see out there too much for patients and caregivers. There's a lot more of the logical, here's what you can do day to day. Um, Definitely there are mental wellness resources. This is just a little bit different because I I think it is. I want to help people in the long haul. You know, this is a marathon. And People train for marathons, so why don't we train ourselves for this marathon? I'm a cancer survivor, and I definitely, you know, didn't train for that because I didn't know if it was going to happen, right? Who does? Yeah. Yeah, my very first love, he and I were together for a long time. He received two kidney transplants, 
I was on hemodialysis and peritoneal prior to hemo, and he's no longer with us. And yeah, we were 18 when he was diagnosed with good pasture syndrome. You're definitely not ready for that when you're young no. and immortal. Right? High school sweetheart, you mm-hmm. know, we were getting ready to go to college. So um, kidney transplants are a huge. Um, how do I put this? My heart is just huge for folks who need them or have had them. So well, thank you for for seeing us. Um, yeah, I was sick through middle school and we weren't really sure why. And um, then around 14 years old, um, my cholesterol level shot way up like 300, you know, and I was under a hundred pounds and they were like, what is going on? And then saw um, the kidney disease had developed and they don't know why. It's not genetic. They think maybe it was an untreated case of strep throat. And I just must have been predisposed, you know, for, for that to go meet my kidneys. And so at 15, yeah, I was on hemodialysis for six months while they worked up my family to see who could be one of our my donors. And I was so, so blessed that I was able to receive a kidney from my dad. And that kidney worked for 18 wonderful years where I saw some of those milestones you were just mentioning. You know, high school, high school graduation, college, meeting my now husband, adopting our beautiful daughter. And then and then it petered out. It got a little tired. And so in 2012, I received my second kidney transplant from my husband's twin brother. Wow. I know. And people look at me and they're like, well, why didn't your husband give you the kidney? Well, they're fraternal. So they didn't have the same blood types, but we just celebrated 11 years um, of that kidney transplant and it's going wonderfully. And I just really can't thank those enough who consider that either while they're here on earth or after they, they pass to pass on, you know, that gift of life because I'm able to live a life that's fulfilling and I'm getting to help others, you know, other people. I'm here for my family. I have energy. It's just one of the best treatments for end-stage renal disease in my opinion. Um, And so just the fact that that is an option and then when people yeah. say, oh my gosh, you've had a kidney transplant. It's like so normal. It's so yeah. normal to me. It's bizarre. But then I see those and have connected with those who, you know, are on their second heart transplant or a lung transplant. And those are, those are the people that I really hold space for too, because I'm like, I have other options for treatments. I have several different yeah. options for treatments if this this transplant decides that it's tired and I, I need to wait for another one or whatever. But so just the fact that we live in a day and age when there are these medical advancements that can help us prolong our life and help us improve our quality of life while we are living with chronic illness, uh, I like then to flip it and say, okay, they did that for me. And now what I can do for me is have chronic illness live with me instead of me living with chronic illness. I like that. When you're working with folks who either need a transplant or have received a transplant or caregivers, what are the themes that you notice? Mm. 
So that's a great question. And I have worked with um, a couple people who have received transplants, but then I also have worked with others who've had difficult diagnoses as well. Um, and the number one piece of insight I share is to be where your feet are. Don't try to think too far ahead. Take in what you need to in that moment. And if it's a time of a, of a decision, then take your time in that moment and make the next easy step. And I'm doing quote air quotes because none of this is easy. However, when you can think of it that way and you can just take the next right step for you or the right, you know, the next easy step for you, it alleviates a little bit of that worry and fear and uncertainty that comes with managing a chronic illness or a difficult diagnosis. So it's that advocate for yourself, be where your feet are, take the next right step for you and honor all that you're feeling, you know? Yeah. Honor the entirety of your human experience here dealing with, with an illness. Yeah. It is an experience for sure. I know when I was caring for my beloved, I was exhausted. You know, I worked full time and all the things. And, you know, I tried, I still tried to help other people. You know, I was part of this foundation that tried to help other people. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I got really like interested and curious about survivor guilt. Mm -hmm. I'd never heard of it before. Mm -hmm. Do you see folks experience survivor guilt? Can you say more about that? Sure. Well, I, you know, most of the people that I've spoken with or worked with have received living donation. And mm -hmm. so there isn't that piece. Um, there is that piece that you feel of, you know, ownness and responsibility for taking care of yourself because you're also taking care of a piece of them. Mm -hmm. Um. I have heard that there is that piece of survivor's guilt. You know, who am I? Who am I to still be here while another person is no longer walking the earth? And that's a difficult one. I mean, yeah. I believe that's one where you just need to honor all of the feelings that come with it and then choose how you want to meet that survivor's guilt. What I mean by that is, are you going to live in that survivor's guilt? And I believe everything is energy. So are you going to live in that survivor's guilt that has the lower vibration that can bring down the vibration of your life and your healing and that, that beautiful life-saving transplant that you received? Or are you able to honor that feeling, recognize it, acknowledge it, and then live in the highest vibration that you can? Honor the person who saved your life by living in the highest light that you can. I don't know this, but I believe that my beloved, I do know this actually, <laughs> he suffered a pretty significant case of survivor's guilt. Mm -hmm. He received a transplant from a 27-year-old mm -hmm. who had passed away and he affectionately called it the little yellow rose of Texas. And, oh. You know, he would say out loud, like, I fear the day that she leaves me. And 
um, without going into too much detail. Sure. Um, you know, he did pass away in 2011. And, you know, it's just super hard, you know, because when he was on dialysis for a long time and then he had one failed transplant and then he had the second one and it was successful. And, you know, it's just, it's just hard. It was hard for him. It was hard for me and his other friends and family. So, yeah. Um, yeah. But I think survivor guilt had a lot to do with it. And he had other illnesses from being on dialysis a long time. And then the anti-rejection meds sure. had their own host of side effects. And so thank you for being so vulnerable and, and sharing your story and helping other people. You're so very welcome. It's my honor. I'm a breast cancer survivor, mm-hmm. as I said, and I'm also in recovery from alcohol. And I help other folks try to get alcohol free. That's amazing. Thank you. And like paired with 20 something years of social work and I'm a life coach as well through the Wayfinder program, Uh my point is that it's so great to be able to help other people who have experienced something very similar Mm -hmm. as you. It it is. It's it's rewarding. It's one way I think that I can also honor the gift of life that I've received. And um, honestly, I don't think I'd be upright if I hadn't, you know, gone through life coach certification and learned all of these tools and become more self-aware and understand how to be with difficult feelings and not, you know, turn to quote unquote toxic positivity just to get through, you know, but like honor the fullness of our human experience. None of us were guaranteed an easy go at this life when we, when we came to earth, you know, like, yeah. And I, it's hard to say that, but it's also true. And it's up to each one of us to decide how we want to move through life, how we want to show up and how we want to meet the challenges that arise. And challenges, I'm using as a neutral term. You know, challenges can be positive. Challenges can be negative. Like I just see them as challenges as something that you meet in life that maybe you weren't expecting. And then you get to decide, you get to choose how you meet that challenge. Yeah. Now, as a caregiver for your daughter, I don't want to gloss over oh. your daughter's experience. <laughs> yeah, I do want to ask, like, for the folks who are listening, if you have any tips on how to take care of yourself as a caregiver, especially for a, a young child. Sure, I practiced that a lot. I wasn't good at it at the first, uh, you know, the first try. Um, it was also we started on her life-threatening chronic illness diagnosis before I had done work in, in coaching and um, self-care, you know? And so I don't, I don't want to gloss over the importance of putting your own oxygen mask on first and taking that time to rest. I also don't fully buy into the important self-care in the moment is going to sustain me. So yes, it's great to go and get your hair done, you know, get a massage. Those are things that help take care of my physical energy and body. But then I, I invite people to think about how am I going to take care of my, my mental energy and space, my emotional energy and space, and my spiritual energy and space. And those are the things that sustain me through this. I mean, we're 
we're in eight years into her diagnosis and she's been on treatment those entire eight years. And every couple of years, that treatment protocol changes just because of the, you know, your body decides, hey, this one's not working for me anymore. So let's, I need something different. And so it's those moments of um, change and uncertainty that would kind of hit you in the face just when you thought you were, you were on the, the straight and narrow path <laughs> to move forward. And then you're like stopped in a traffic jam. And so once I learned to manage some of those other aspects of my being and take a more holistic view of caring for myself, um, am I able to move forward and help people outside of myself and not become drained? It's, I used to remember um, when I would drop her off at school after her diagnosis and her first long stay in a hospital and I, you know, I'd show up and all of the parents, and they meant so well, all of the parents, you know, they sort of had that look on their face of like, oh my gosh. And I'm out there making, you know, laughing and smiling. And, and I almost felt them thinking, how can she be smiling? How can she be joking? Because if I wasn't, I wouldn't be upright. Yeah. I need to look for the glimmers in life as, you know, Deb Dana has um, been sharing and she's been sharing and showing up all over and I love it. Um, I look for those glimmers and that's what helps sustain my spiritual energy mostly. And by spiritual energy, I mean that feeling of connectedness to meaning and purpose and something larger than ourselves, whatever that might be for you. And so looking for those glimmers, I, I'm able to find those moments of joy even when we're in despair. Um, I recall being in the hospital with her after she had a, a pretty big surgery, uh, New Year's Eve 2020. And we ended up uh, staying in the hospital for about a month for her recovery. And it was finding those moments of small joy and humor that kept us all going. Yeah. I don't mean to say gloss over those moments of fear and you you get this as a you know social worker mm-hmm. and, and life coach and caregiver and patient and you know someone in recovery like accept all of those different feelings and highlight the ones that make you feel alive yeah that's a very very powerful the good and the not so good and the bad and everything in between I, i'm not sure if you're um uh, familiar with a, a musician john batiste and um, his his wife, Suleika, and I unfortunately um, can't pronounce her last name, but she's an author and she wrote a book that's amazing called Between Two Kingdoms. And it's about her journey with leukemia. And he is a um, celebrated um, artist, musician, and they did a beautiful interview on Good Morning America a couple years ago. And they talked about the and, and he had just been nominated for a lot of Grammys. And the next day she relapsed. And so they talked about how do you hold the heartache and and the horrible pieces and then this joy at the same time. And I love the image. They put their hands together in front of them like they were cradling something. And I think of that, like how, how do we hold 
the both and the and and, and move through life. And um, that really put it into perspective for me as well. I mean, I'd been living that for a long time and just didn't think of putting those words together so beautifully as they did. And so I, I often share that as well. Like, how can you hold both at, in the and at the same time? Yeah, I love that. You've given me some discovery work to, to look into. <laughs> Maybe watching them on Good Morning America or looking them up online. So thank you for that. You're welcome. Yeah, so where can folks find you? If they want to check out your website and uh, connect with you, tell us, tell us where we can find you. Sure. Well, I, I have a website. It's um, prosiliencecoach.com. So that's P-R-O-S-I-L-I-E-N-C-E coach.com. And again, that stands for proactive resilience and how we can build our resilience before we, you know, you always hear about falling down and then picking yourself back up. What if we don't have to fall down? What if we can practice resilience so that when the larger challenges come our way, we can stay stable and on, on two feet? So you can find me there. You can also find me on Instagram at um, jfredwi. That's jfred in the great state of Wisconsin. <laughs> and then I'm also on Facebook at Jen Frederick's Prosilience Coach. Thank you so much for being on the show today, Jen, and sharing your wisdom and, and your glimmers and, and being so vulnerable. Thank you for what you do. Heather, I appreciate you having me on the show and allowing me to share some of these thoughts with your listeners. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Living My Breathless Life. Head over to Instagram and follow According to HPG to stay connected to the show. Go get your mammograms.